Hi, I'm Mick Cronin and this is What's Your Cause? A podcast in which I interview a variety of guests about a cause that is close to them, something they feel passionate about. I want to start a conversation that educate, inspire and shine a light on causes around the globe that can or are having a significant social impact. But here's the kicker. Each guest will nominate the next and become a chain that will lead from my very first guest to my last and ultimate guest of season one, Barack Obama. Got your attention? Thought I might. So hello and welcome to episode 13 of What's Your Cause? Some would say 13 is an unlucky number, but not me. And the reason why is on this episode, I get to speak with Jane Tucson. Now, Jane was nominated by Nick Spears, who was the guest in my last episode, and uh, what a great uh, conversation that was. So, Jane is the founder and director of Igniting Change, which is operating here in Melbourne. And the best way to put it, and I suppose the way that she would say it is, they meet the people and they feel the issues. So, Igniting Change is increasing awareness for a variety of issues that are often hidden in plain sight. They spend time talking to people with lived experience. They spend time talking to people who are in a position to make positive social change and impact for the people they serve. Now, at age 23, Jane founded Charity Projects in London, which at that time was focusing on tackling homelessness in Soho. So from there, she became one of the founders of Comic Relief in the UK. You might have heard that with Red Nose Day, etc. That today has raised $1 billion for famine relief and community development in Africa. Jane is extremely humble. She is incredibly authentic. She is super caring. You will hear that in the interview. Um, She is all about meeting the people. She just wants to see a society with more kindness where people in need can get the support they need. And she does that by talking to the people in a position to to offer that support, to make that social change. I love this conversation. Um, I love speaking with Jane. I love the work that she does. And with that, here is episode 13 of Watch Your Cause with Jane Tucson. So, Jane, welcome to Watch Your Cause. Thank you. Nice to be with you, Mick. Well, it's a pleasure to have you as well. Now, we just jump straight into this. So, uh, Jane Tucson, what's your cause? Well, I've got so many, Mick, and I was thinking about it today. But I think the thing for me at the moment is just looking at the complete, the disconnection that's going on all around us and the extreme loneliness. So that's what I'd like to talk about today. And in particular, when we talk about that, like, lack of connection or loneliness do you think it, that is on um, for individual or just in a general with society that we've just lost our way a little bit and we've you know we're failing to connect in the ways that previously may have we may have? Yeah, I think it's both, and I think that I mean I'm increasingly aware of how uncurious people are and how they're not really very good listeners, and that seems so sad to me and. <laughs> I assume for you as well in the jobs that we do. I mean, life is so rich. There is so much to learn and so much to experience. So it's a great sadness for me that people will go through a day and not talk to anyone and not connect to anybody. And from that comes so many issues as well. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And with the pandemic and everything that we've gone through as well, um, I've kind of noticed that myself, even within myself, that I think pre 
COVID, I just felt like we were more connected um, and, and out there a lot more with people. And I think now it seems to be as we find our way back and we've been back for a while, but as we're finding, I still think we're finding our way back in that. Do you, would you agree with that? I agree. And there just doesn't seem to be that empathy. And I, I look back and in my early 20s, I spent time in the uh, refugee camps in Africa and Sudan and Ethiopia. And, you know, they were just such tough times and people were dying every day in huge numbers. But that generosity of spirit, the connectedness of the community was extraordinary. And that sits so strong with me now. And and my mind works really fast, as you'll find out. But I was also in Alice Springs last weekend for the results of the referendum. And I couldn't... People said, Jane, aren't you frightened? You know, how are people going to respond? But there was such graciousness amongst the First Nations community there. They, they, they reached out and they were thinking of not themselves, but me and how I was feeling. And very humbling. Yeah, I, I can only imagine um, being, you know, in Alice for, for last weekend. It would have been extremely interesting and challenging um, and everything in between, I think, as well. Mm. Picking on that, what you said about, you know, the work that you used to do back some years ago when you were in the, you know, in African camps and so forth. And that was probably on the back of where you started your journey, I suppose, in, mm. you know, setting up charities and so forth. So I've got a few questions on this, yeah? Probably the first question I think would be really good. Can you clarify charity, what it means to you? Ooh, that's a big, what a big one. Um, yeah. It's certainly, I mean, I believe that giving is receiving. Um, I don't believe that charity is giving to people and charity is still defined as something that you do to people. So I think the biggest thing in my life has been about recognising that lived experience is so important in all aspects of what you're, you're, you're doing. I don't know what it's like to measure out the slices of white bread that I give to, you know, that I'd be giving to my children every day for, their, to, for food. And um, so you involve people who do know what that is like and you work together. You work together to, to, to do something about that. Now, I haven't answered your question at all, have I? No, um, I think you, you did a little bit because if I correct me if I'm wrong, you're, where you're going with that is that it's not about just giving, you know, to people, but mainly standing beside them. Is that where you're absolutely. kind of going with it? Like, absolutely, it is absolutely walking alongside people and hear and and and, and hearing them and really hearing yeah. where they're coming from. But, you know, it comes back, yeah, charity is defined by giving to people, and I, I just don't think it's that. It's about working with people. And one of the things I'm most passionate about is, is looking to see what brings out the passion in people and the heart in people. And I think it is actually meeting the people and feeling the issues. You, you, you can't stand back. You've got to put yourself forward, sit down on the street with somebody who's experiencing homelessness and have a yarn with them and and really try and find out why they're there, what would make the difference for them and then work from there. Yeah, I, told, I, told, I couldn't agree couldn't agree more. Um, there's also that I'd imagine you would have seen in your time, especially you know when you go back and you think of, and we'll get to like the, the comic relief stuff and all that time, and when you were in Africa, yeah, was there a case then, Jane, where 
you know, and it probably is today, where there is money going to these countries and to these people, but not being utilized the right way. So where I'm going with that is that sometimes the money is, is what people think it should go to, but it's not actually what is needed. And what is needed sometimes is to help the people in them countries to give them better resources to actually help themselves and, and build more stability in that. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolute sense. I mean, we're great believers. If we, if we believe in a project, we support them and we support them to, to use the money as they want to use it. They know best. We don't know best. So we'd never dream of telling them what to do with it. But yes, a lot of philanthropy is telling people what to do. And, and when we were at Comic Relief, we were only supporting organisations that were made up of African people in Africa. Because there are many organisations, I'm not so sure now actually, working in Africa that don't have Africans even on their board, which seems yeah. to be extraordinary. And the same is true here. There are organisations that are working to support issues and they don't have any lived experience on their board. And I find that extraordinary. How, uh, how we dare talk for somebody else. We shouldn't. Yeah, and hopefully there's a shift in that. Again, I couldn't agree with you more on that one. And, and uh, hopefully we can start to see a shift on that because, yeah, the voices of the, of the people that we serve are the most important voices. So we shouldn't be you know, talking to them, but, but listening to them and not be the voice for them, but give them the voice, you know, like help amplify their voice as well. And I think make, allow, them, allow them to feel comfortable. Make sure that your door is always open and so that you're, you're hearing what they want to say. You're not hearing what they feel you want to say. And I'm just going to come back because we talked about this earlier. I'm not very comfortable talking like this and I do get, my, I do get very mixed up. So we'll come back to things a couple of times. Um, That's fine. Yeah, I've talked to you about my dyslexia. You know about that. I yeah. don't usually do these interviews, but I like the way you've come at it. Why? Why don't you like these interviews? It's just, just, it's just naturally being a person because of your dyslexia and, and just you know growing up, you're a little bit shy and stuff. Is that is that just a, a general reason yeah, why you don't I'm like sure, doing? I'm, I'm not sure. I've got much. I think the people I work with have so much to say, and it is such a joy working with them every day, and they're rarely given a voice. But yeah, I, I'm shy and I, I find it hard. I'm not articulate. Um, and I've been so fortunate because I so love what I do and love working with the people that I work with. And people often think of me as very different to what I am. Um, and, and my passion really is just about opening hearts and minds and giving people a voice who don't normally have one. I'm sure... Um... I know you're very humble, Jane. I know you're a very humble person, and I'm sure a lot of people would would uh, would say that you've got lots to give, and you're probably very articulate. Because if you think of of what you've done, and you think of what you've had to do um, over the years to basically, you know, set up your charities and and, and to you know using the word better word ignite that change for people as well, you would have had to present to people, you would have had to pitch to people, you would have had to convince people. So where did you find that kind of you know, within yourself to kind of get beyond that kind of, you know, shyness or that kind of um, doubt that you might have had to actually, you know, present for your cause or present for what you're trying to, you know, change? Well, I think that there's so many different answers to that. I think when you've got the fire in your belly, and I, you know, when I was 22, I got the fire in my belly about why people were living experiencing homelessness in London and then the fire in my belly about why weren't African people being allowed to control their own lives 
But also, I recognise that I'm actually not very good at anything. And that's a, that's a great thing, because I go to people who are brilliant in all the areas I work in and ask them for their support. And what you find is that when you ask people to help, everybody wants to help. And if you show them the right way to do it, they're in. And that's the joy of my work, is I feel like I'm the puppeteer. And it really is true. I just... People are... People are wonderful. They, they want to help. They want to get involved. And they do. And the answer's in that for me. Yeah. If we go back to, like, I, I just want to go back before we go forward a little bit. Um, I'm sorry as well. I jump around as well, Jane, in this Good. interview. So hopefully it's only going to be a great match or we're going to be all over the place. But we're, <laughs> we're, I think we're going okay. But if we go back a little bit to when you were younger and you're like, I think you were 23 and you started, I think it was the charity project. That would have been... Back in London, was that the was that the am I right in saying that's the first kind of project that you started or founded? Yeah, I did a few at school, but yes, right. I mean I was really lucky because I was dyslexic. Um, my mother pulled me out of the school I was at and went to the local grammar school, which was an integrated school. Some of us were very different, and some of us had um, learning difficulties. And one of the first things I did was set up a little community farm at the school. So kids that felt really uh, that they hadn't got anything to give at school and so they would muck up a lot suddenly you'd see them loving the rabbit and their their confidence came through because they were able to do that and they found some joy in that um yeah. it's a long time since i've spoken about that so i think it all started at it all started at school so that's where you kind of always you, you just had a natural kind of you know i suppose um, connection to helping people or wanting to see justice, you know, or wanting to, to see some, you know, help people that probably needed a little bit more. Is that why you started Charity Project? Were you ignited by something else beyond that? I think that, that all the people I've worked with have been helping me. I wouldn't see <laughs> that I've been helping them. I mean, I've just had the joy of working with phenomenal people. And uh, when I set up Charity Projects, it was really, I, I'd been working with an organisation that was supporting kids with Down syndrome. And their logo was the picture of a Downs boy crying. And I knew that that was so fundamentally wrong. And I'd grown up with uh, knowing a little boy called Jimmy who had Downs, who was one of my best... I mean, I just loved playing with him and he brought such joy to me. So really, Charity Projects was brought about saying, we must see the person and not their label. And we must give people their own voice and we must give them their own dignity. And we must just shift the way that we look at people needing support and from that then obviously um you you went into to found this little small little thing jane and i'm sure you think is, is really small a little thing called comic relief now um i am aware of you know comic relief and red nose they obviously come coming from you know ireland i kind of was young enough to to, to remember all that um and it was it was massive because i remember live aid kind of kicked off that real big kind of you know global kind of coming together to for for this like this big cause that needed to be you know helped and supported in africa as well and comic relief was i think just after that as well i actually always remember you don't remember comic relief was the was it the young ones and cliff richard they had that number one living doll was that right yeah, it was amazing. You were part of that. You would have been. You would have been a part of all that. So before we get into comedy, just just a little curious thing I would have. Yeah, I love the young ones and so forth. What was it like being around that? You know, in the in the eighties at that time with all these like 
brilliant comedians and so forth as well. And at that time, what you were trying to achieve, it must have been really energising, was it? Yeah, I mean, they were just so creative and it was such fun being with them and such joy. And people would say, you know, charity can't use the, the fuck word. And of yeah. course, when we were putting on concerts, Alexi Sale and the young ones were using fuck all the time. But they, they were with me wanting to give a voice to people who wouldn't normally have a voice and they wanted to have some fun and that's exactly what we did. But we also did it without spending any money. So we, we at Charity Projects, one of the first projects we did was the first International Netherwall of Arts Festival. And there was an article written in the Sunday Times by one of the journalists saying... Edinburgh Festival is dead. Why don't we do a festival in Nether Wallop? And I read this and I said, let's do it. Let's see if we can infiltrate the Nether Wallop Festival with um, celebrities. Jesse Norman, the, the opera singer, sang with the local choir in Nether Wallop. Lynn Seymour danced with the Brownies. I mean, we, Peter, Cook and, um, Peter Cook and Mel Smith did a skit on stage. We just had such a lot of fun, and we all stayed with locals in the village. And it was filmed for television, and nobody, there was no press leaks, nothing. And we just had a ball, and we raised this money and had fun. And, and it just felt really good. And that's how I got into really, I suppose, working with the entertainment industry to create some passion about issues. Magical. Well, you know, it's what's it's on one billion today, I think it's it's raised. It continues to to you know to, to, to do amazing work and grow. So um it's no little no little mean feat as well. But on that Mick, I, I agree, it's a wonderful thing, but you know, we're still seeing you know, things haven't shifted. People are still experiencing homelessness. Racism is a, racism's rife. People are disconnected. People feel they're better than other people. And I look and I think, well, how far have we come? Yeah. One of my questions that I had, I'll skip to it now for you, was that you have walked across in the sectors um, doing this walk for, you know, from the 80s to where we are today, yeah? Um, and it's really interesting that you say that because one of the questions I was going to have was saying, do you think it's easier now? Is it harder or is it is it quite the same to to um, connect with people on these causes and 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 mobilize them for change? I think it's probably the same. And I think I go back. Everybody wants to help. And you've just got to show them the right. If you really think about why you're asking somebody to work with you and you're clear about why and what the end goal is, we very rarely have people saying no, but the fire is in our belly. And I like to think that we, we, innate, we give a voice to people who wouldn't normally have one, and that we're constantly, um, we're constantly educating people about the issues that we want to create an impact with. So I think that we need to be creative. I think that we need to make it fun and we need to make it really raw, which means that, um, you know, we, we need to be vulnerable as well. I like the fun part too as well. I think um, I think there's so much seriousness around what, what, the, what we're doing in causes and even the work I do as well, that people are a little bit surprised when, you know, when we use humour, you know, or, or we that because I think you have to, I think because some of the things that you're working on, you, if you can't have fun in what you're trying to do, even when it's around serious causes, like, 
it's really hard, I think, um, to have any longevity in it or, or stay, stay the course mm-hmm. at times. If you bring it forward then to what you're doing here in Australia, yeah, because you went from England and you, and you arrive in, a, in Australia, and I know when the first time I was introduced to you, I, was, I did have this question, I never asked, she's like, why is she in Australia? You know, um, which is, you probably have a very simple answer for that. But, you know, when you had all this life in England and, and, and what you were doing there as well, and obviously you, you, you moved to Australia. So when did Igniting Change come about? Let's get to that. Like, where, where did, when did that come about? Um, well, I moved, I moved to Australia because I married an Aussie. As soon as I gave birth to our two boys, I knew I was in trouble because he went to get them his, their Aussie passports. And uh, he just wanted to come back. So... It's what I did, and I came kicking and screaming, to be honest, because I had such a, a great life, and I got a very large family, and, and uh, arrived here. Um, they found some ovarian tumours. I wanted another child, so I wasn't able to have more children. I thought that I'd be a mum, and then I opened my eyes, and I was just horrified by what I saw here in Australia that disconnection, I I just couldn't believe the way we were treating our First Nations people. Um, Lots of youth homelessness, and I I spent a bit of time with Tim's Costello as well, walking around and listening, and of course it was like, oh, we need another organisation here, Let's, let's, let's create igniting change, which is exactly... Is it, we want to ignite change. We want to make people more aware of the issues that are all around us here in Melbourne and in Australia. It's not okay. It's not okay. And I have heard you say this, I think, when we met, one thing that stuck in my mind, I think, um, when I first met you, was you mentioned that you were very strategically small. Um, and I found that interesting because I'm all, you know, you always think, oh, you're connecting, you know, there's so much there's so much going on there's so many people you want to help and, and I know that you know you meet a lot of people and you you know I've had your team out visiting um, Air, Air, Air Walk as well which is fantastic how do you stay small Jane is there the temptation to try and help everyone um, because I find that really interesting that you know I think it's great strategy but is it hard to stay small or you have to be really disciplined and not try and help everyone or how do you go about it we have to be really disciplined about it but we're really keen about only working with people who work who who involve people with lived experience. So that cuts down the number of people you can work with in this country by quite a bit. Um, we're proactive. Really, people don't know about us. And the other thing that I find about the people that we work with, virtually all the CEOs of the little projects we work with, feel incredibly lonely. And I think one of the great things that Igniting Change does is that when we work with an organisation and a group and a person, we wrap our arms around them and we're here for the long haul. Even though we might not be investing in them, we're always here because they're extraordinary individuals. And every time I'm with them, and I I do the work I do because I'm not made up of the stuff of people like you and other people that you interview where you're working one-to-one with people directly. I did that and I realised I I couldn't do it. I I just, I'm not made of the stuff you need to be made of. But for me, second best is working for those people who are working at the coalface with those people. I mean, every time I'm with them, the hairs go up on the back of my neck, on the back, on on my arms, because you just... They're just extraordinary. They're, 
There's something so dynamic and beautiful about them. They're not CEOs. They're the people doing the grassroots work. And often they, don't, they haven't met their CEOs. And their CEO is not aware of these extraordinary people doing this work. But they're what light me up. They're the people that... That's why Igniting Change exists. And any opportunity to put those people in front of um, people who can make a difference or who are just interested and curious and want to listen, that's what we love doing. I love that. From all your experiences of setting up you know, businesses, charities, your work, all the way through the years, I'm sure that you come across, you know, people who are at the start of their journey and who are trying to ignite that change, who are trying to, you know, follow their passion and so forth. What kind of, looking back on, on you know, your career and what you did, what's the kind of, what's the kind of advice that you would give them knowing what you know now? Again, I think it, comes back to the people that I love working with are the people that have got the fire in their belly. They're people who've usually got lived experience. Um, and those are the ones that really create the impact at the grassroots. And the impact that you measure by that you see them one week working with a group of young men whose hoodies are pulled right down over their faces and their fringes are really long. And just within a couple of days of working with them, you see the hoodies are back, the fringes are up, they're looking you in the eye and they're shaking your hand. That's impact for me. That's the kind of impact that I'm really interested in. It, it's, um, the figures don't do it for me, probably because of my dyslexia and I can't read them, but don't tell me. <laughs> Please don't tell me. Is that why you've been so successful? You didn't know. <laughs> You're going away, were you going away thinking comic relief? That wasn't too great. And they say, no, Jane, it actually made a billion. <laughs> Yeah. But for me, it's not, you know, money isn't the answer. Money is yeah. so not the answer. And money is really hard to spend well. Um, yeah. And I think the answer goes back really is to give people their own voice, not to talk for people. Don't give to people, work with them. And then we'll see the change that we so desperately need. How many different kind of organizations are you kind of working with if you know like is it a lot is it or are you just working with a, you know people at a you know smaller scale like like for instance, in, in at the present now, have you got like a couple of, you know, key um whether social enterprise non for profit or people that you're supporting? Yeah, we're working with um I think thirty six organizations we worked with this right. year. Um and their teams. I mean this morning I was with a wonderful woman called Mariam Issa who is a Somalian woman who came to Melbourne 15 years ago and she was one of the first, well, she thinks she was one of the first black people in, in, uh, in um, Brighton. And she and her family faced a lot of racism. And so to cut a very long story short, her vision, and I met her through her son who happened to be um, playing basketball with a club that we were supporting in Dandenong. And um, my husband speaks fluent Swahili and I heard him her son speaking Swahili and so I got to know his mother and what she did with her house in Brighton is it's a wonderful story she just decided to dismantle the fence around her garden and create a communal garden and it's extraordinary what she's achieved by having this incredible safe space and uh, being there today and seeing it in its full glory vegetable garden at the front and a uh, sensory garden at the back was such a joy and she really has changed how people view 
people seeking asylum and refugees in Brighton. Beautiful. So a couple more questions. So what challenges you right now? What's, cha what's, what's your big challenge right now? Is there one, is there many, is there, is there something that always challenges you or is there one thing at the moment where you're just like, this is, this is a hard thing to get, get, get around? You were asking me about money before and I was saying that money's not the answer because I don't believe it is. I think the answer is about people getting out of their own bubbles, um, about being curious, about being interested. I mean, it's extraordinary to me that many people come here and have meetings with us and they never ask a question. And I think that if we could ignite people being interested by looking out, which means that people have to be more receptive. It's like when you walk down the street and you smile at someone and they smile back. It does, it changes your day, it changes your next five minutes, doesn't it? Why aren't we doing more of it? So I think that's the big challenge. It comes back to that, um, the disconnection and just, I, I was really lucky. So I grew up, I had the best family upbringing of anyone I know. We lived in rural England. Mum and dad were doctors, very non-judgmental. So our house was everybody's house in the village. And uh, we were self-sufficient as well. I don't know how mum did it as a doctor, which practising doctor as well. And we had this great sense of connection, connection to the land, but connection to each other. And the house was always full, probably like, I don't know what your childhood was like growing up in Ireland. But I kind of a full house. I always remember being outside the house more than inside the yeah. house for me. Yeah, I just remember the community of just coming home and going out and just being young and free. And you was playing, for me, it was playing football every day in the park and, and with friends. And I always felt it was just, it was busy in a different way, but you were just always out with people. It was always. Yeah, and my, mine was the same. And that gave me that, that great sense of connection. And when, and sort of um, non-judgmental love. So when I failed all my exams... You know, my parents were just, you'll find something else. You know, what do you want to do? And when I said, oh, I'd like to go to Oxford University, my mum said, well, find a way to do it. And I did. I actually found a way to be a cleaner in one of the, the unis, and one of the tutors took me under his wings. Um, and I was able to go to the lectures. And, and, and it was an extraordinary time in my life. And it's that thing, anything's possible. And I really believe that. But I, it comes back to that. I just feel so grateful for all the... The connections I had as a child. Going back just a little bit, I'm picking up on what you talk about. You know, um, when people come to meet with you and they, you know, never really, they, they don't ask. Um, they're not curious enough. Yeah. Do you feel? Because I'm just reflecting back when you were saying that, right? Into how when I first came to Australia and I was working in this industry and I was, you know, out and about like trying to, you know talk to people meet with people get stuff happening and i think what happened you sometimes go into a consistent pitch mode where you're always always feeling that you have to present yourself and ask and and, and represent and and so forth and from doing that the pressure is always on you so it's nearly been created i i, I always look back that was created by potentially how government were funding programs and how people were competing against each other and so forth rather than collaborating and working with each other and whether that you know release valve was actually released it's a great point that you make because i think that you know talking to you 
being in the position where I was, you kind of need someone to release that valve for you because you don't even know you're not even being curious because you're just going in in the mode. I've got to do this. I've got to leave with this. I've got to try and get this. I've got to get this across. And what's lost is what you just said is that connection or that art of conversation or just being curious going the other way. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. And actually, you've helped articulate something I haven't been able to articulate. Absolute sense. Yeah. So, But you brought that out of me. You, know, you just made me think about that. That's really interesting. So what would be... when? You're right, because you have to go in, you, you're excited, you have to present yourself, you're passionate about what you're presenting about. So what do you think would be a good question to ask without seeming judgmental in that scenario that would lead to more of a mutual connection as opposed to being spoken at? I don't know, I think it's an early on piece in, in I think it's an earlier piece in that conversation. And sometimes... Sometimes it's just making them put them at ease, you know? So it's like, it's probably explaining what you want to do for them. But to get to that point, let's just have a conversation, you know? And you might be able to say, I want you to be relaxed. I, I want you not to feel that you have to pitch. Like, if this is about us connecting and talking and seeing on a long term. And so a lot of people don't do that. Because people are in, they just sit there and want you to, like, you're next. You get 15 minutes, you get half an hour, whatever. I just think it's that initial how you greet me and explain and uh, what you do and what you'd like to hear from them and you'll probably find that they go oh okay. they might be challenged by it a bit because they've got they're ready to go in mm. with the whole thing i'm going to blow you away with what i'm going to pitch mm. about now and then suddenly they're like oh okay and then what you're getting is the real person but you'll see it probably lift up you'll see them actually probably go down a little bit go okay and um, i was in a meeting um a while ago and i was just fighting tooth and nail to, to social enterprise really difficult as you know fighting tooth and nail financially and so forth and me and the sort of um, the manager went into a meeting and it was just automatic that we were like on the like trying to go on the defense and that and they just said to us you don't need to do that we get it we we support it not a problem so let's get that out of the way let's talk about something else and we just both laughed their heads off and went i wish everyone would say that yeah um, but then but then i also went there going how do we not realize that so now it's like, yeah, so where, yeah, so I think it's just acknowledging that this does exist, especially with people that aren't as experienced um, or have been around a while to actually feel comfortable and confident to not be the pitching and to be a little bit more vulnerable and to be a little bit more in asking other questions out. And I think that's just a learning piece. Sometimes it's a maturity mm -hmm. piece um, as well. Anyway, that's that's my long-winded answer that you've asked me, so you've turned the, you've turned the table on me. It's... It's an interesting one because maybe it's starting the meeting by saying we both know a little bit about each other because you usually do when you're meeting someone. I'd love to hear something about you that I wouldn't that I don't know. That's it. Yeah. That's so you it. just get That's the it. connection. So it's it's you get that mutual connection and curiosity about each other. Yeah. yeah, and it's sharing as well. Sometimes if you share something too, then I'm really at ease with you. You know, and um, I find when I'm doing these interviews, it's really interesting. Because it's at the start with people, it's 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 you know it's, it can be a little bit challenging. They don't know me sometimes. You do looking enough, we know each other, but um, but not not in, not really really well, you know. So it's be, so you're kind of always wondering if it's going to connect and so forth. But when he's, there's always a moment where it relaxes, and and you kind of go into the more of the conversation and the more of the vulnerable part, and that's both ways. Like that's what I'm learning from interviewing people. It's been magic to to, to learn that, you know. But it is, and I wonder whether when I was talking about feeling very uncomfortable 
when I'm talking about myself or something like this, but immediately that changed was when um, I learned a little bit more about you and there was that connection and we were having a joint conversation apart from not you asking, it was kind of we were on the same, same wavelength, yeah. Yeah, totally, totally, I totally agree with that. Do you feel optimistic, Jane? For the future of where we're at, do you, do you generally have a real big optimism that you know the world we're living in, our future generations? Right now, with everything that's going on, it's pretty hard. You know, the world's an ugly place, isn't it? It's really gut-wrenchingly awful. And waking up in the morning thinking about what's happening and where, and then you learn there's been another earthquake in Afghanistan, and you know, really, we know that the support's not getting through there. Um, so that on one level, on the other level, I feel hugely optimistic. I think people are great and um, we can make amazing things happen. But, but I do think as well, uh, the world's at a tipping point. We haven't been very kind to it, have we? No. And we're not very kind to one another. And that's another thing, kindness. Where's it gone? Acts, simple acts of kindness are so easy and they're free. Yeah. I interviewed someone, I think it was interview number three, um, and it was around kindness, Kat Koshel, and she was amazing. And, uh, and Kat talks about kindness and delivers, she goes to schools and she's been in America and that's what she does. She has a book around kindness and just listen to her speak about it. It's like, wow, simple acts of kindness. And you register them on our, on our website and they register acts of kindness. It's wonderful. I'll, um, you should, yeah, I'll, I'll send you. I dipped in. A, what, what, what were the acts of kindness that really sang to you that you learned? Well, we're probably talking about Kat in her story, right? Probably the, where I go with this is she tells it way better than I do. And it's her story. But if I, it's always r rang true with me. You know, she had this playing career in cricket and, you know, she had a back injury and broke her back, basically, and, and was told that she might not walk again. Now, it, it, the story, you need to listen to it more. I can't go into it because it, it, it goes on and on. It's amazing resilience that she showed. But when she was in that moment, she was in a wheelchair and she was, um, she was just after being told this, that she might not walk again, she was at the lift and she couldn't reach the, whatever way the lift was, she couldn't reach the button. And she was like, this moment of coming over um, was like, this is my life from now on. This could be my life from now on. And someone walked by and didn't even look at her, didn't say anything, and just pushed the lift, the button, and then kept walking. And it was that act of kindness without any retribution, like looking for anything back when mm -hmm. they walked off, that twigged her um, mm -hmm. into the fact. And it changed, like it made her start thinking um, about that. And that was like, that's where it goes. So then she kind of thought, well, you know, what does it take to just do an act of kindness every day? And if you do one, why can't you register? So what they do is you register it on the, on the online platform. And it's something like, when I interviewed her, it was like four million. There's probably five million now oh, acts of kindness idea. on there. Yeah, and it's brilliant. She writes a book and she goes, you know, and, and her story gets even more incredible. You need to like hear it. I'll send you, I'll send you um, the link to her. Yeah, she's phenomenal. And um, I had the pleasure of interviewing her and you walk away from that and you're going, kindness, last thing in the world. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? But so easy and free. So free. Easy. Cost you nothing. Yeah, so. absolutely. So I think that um, whilst I love everything that Comet Relief does and is doing, if we could only inspire greater kindness, that brings back greater connection and that will bring about greater change as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I was going to ask you another question. Oh, you 
are obviously supporting lots of people. I reckon you're a, a person that people will, you know, always feel welcome to chat to. And who supports you? Who's who's been the major supporters of you, probably through your career? And and who do you lean on now when you know you have a a bad day or you know because we all have them. So who's who's that for you? We have a lovely office, so we've got a lovely team here, an eclectic team. You never quite know who's going to be in here. It's volunteers, people who just pop in. And I've always worn my heart on my sleeve, and I've never been able to hide things. So I'm, I'm a great crier. Um, people see me cry a lot. And if something's bothering me, if, you, if you're the person that walks into the office, I'd probably, you know, I, I would share it with you. Um, if I was comfortable with you. So I obviously have great support from my family and I have a, a great, I think, a great family and a great relationship with them. But uh, so, yeah, I'd say now, for here and now, it's the team that I have around me, the team we are together. But I think that when, in my early days, in my 20s and 30s, I always had incredible mentors and one of my mentors when I was at Comic Relief was a man called Joel Joffe, who'd been one of um, Nelson Mandela's lawyers and a very, very successful businessman. And he taught me so much because he said, never, ever take the emotion out of what you're doing. Whereas on the other side, other business leaders were saying, Jane, stop crying. Jane, don't make a fool of yourself. Jane, don't be so emotional. And Joel was saying, no, put the emotion in there. That's, it's really important. And he, was a, he, he died quite recently in a great loss to me. He, I would meet with him every three weeks. It was, it, was, it was wonderful having him in my life. And he was so wise. Couldn't agree with that more, though, about the emotion. Because people say, you know, there's a, there's a part where they go, when you're going in here, yeah, you know, make sure you get this point across and make sure you get that point across. And I'm like, it's like, well, it doesn't matter what point you get across if they don't actually believe what you're speaking about and can see that you, you know, that you care about it, you know, um, as well. So I couldn't, couldn't agree with that. Couldn't agree with you more on that one. It's, it's, it's sad because I think between the ages of 25 and 45, maybe till actually quite recently, it had been, I, w I wasn't able to wear my heart on my sleeve because I've been, it had been, don't do it, you know, don't be emotional. People are, uh, are embarrassed when you're emotional. Don't get cross. Um, if you're meeting with people in dire situations, don't cry. Well, actually, the, I think the, the, you know, probably if I've got any gifts, the gift is that I'm able to hug somebody in a refugee camp. What, what, when somebody's just lost their child, there are no words, absolutely no words, but in a hug or in the eye contact, you can say so much. And that is, I think, how I've managed to get through. Or if I'm meeting with young homeless women there's i always feel there is that touch there there is that connection what's next for igniting change jane it's more the same more the same, i think meeting the people feeling the issues not talking for people giving them a voice and having a lot of fun in this office which is made up of a um, it's a great office made up of an extraordinary group of people yeah look i just want to thank you for your time I love speaking with you and I love the work that you do and I love um, your approach to what you do and, and, and how you come at it. It's very refreshing. It's very um, authentic and it's, and it, you know, it's, it's really needed as well. So, no, um, well, so let's have a cup um, of coffee. Let's have a coffee. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Right. We will. Good. Now, last part of this uh, podcast before you go is that you are now in the hot seat to nominate someone else that you feel 
would be good for me to chat about um, in regards to a cause or causes that they're passionate about. Now, it can be anywhere in the world, Jane. I've already been over to America. I've been back in Australia. Um, it's who you feel. You don't have to do it now. Have a think about it. And, uh, and you can come back to me and I'll ask you to do that introduction to me and them. And, uh, and hopefully we can get them on and they can share their story. Will do, mate. Will do. I'm thinking. Hey, in the meantime, I look forward to I'll, Let's reach out and have a coffee soon. Let's continue the conversation Great. without recording. And, uh, and I'll talk to you again soon, yeah? Thanks very much. Take care. If you enjoyed this podcast, please follow and share or even leave a comment. You can follow me on Instagram on Mick23Cronin. This podcast was produced and edited by Mick Cronin. Thank you.